we change our gears and focus on the issue of crime. And uh, joining us at this point in time, uh, criminologist, a lecturer. Let's welcome to our program, Dennis Brown. Good morning to you. Uh, Mr. Brown, we're not hearing you at all. I'm not sure if your microphone is muted. We're not hearing you at all this morning, Mr. Brown. Not too sure if Mr. Brown is hearing us. Uh, hello, good morning, Mr. Brown. Okay, we're having some audio problems for some reason or the other. I'm not too sure as to what's causing it. So let's see if we can have that rectified and we continue with our program in just a bit. Uh, let's take a call in the meantime. Hello, good morning. Good morning, Sadish. And good morning, Sadish. Sadish, I heard the minister speaking about devaluation. Your, your, your taxes for the year on your land and on your house is less. It's 2.7 percent. Whereas in the in previous, uh, up to 2009, the valuation was at 5 point something percent. But I used to pay $60 for my property, my land, and $60 for my house, which amount to $120 per annum. Now my ARV is over $50,000 per year. Therefore, I have to pay much more than $120 per, per, per month rather than per annum. So the minister is less than honest when he said the valuation is at 2.7% will be far less than the 5%. He, he is not um, telling us the truth as far as my calculation goes and my property tax I used to pay. Because I, my property tax now is over $50,000 ARV per annum, which amounts to about almost $140 per month at 2.7%. So I don't know where he got his figures from. Kadesh? Okay. Yeah, okay, thank you so okay. much for your call. I'm still trying to get in touch with, well, we have Mr. Brown on the Zoom, but I'm not too sure what's going on with your audio. Uh, Mr. Brown, are you hearing us? Okay, you seem to be having some audio problems with our next guest. So we're trying to see if we can rectify those. Let's take another call in the meantime. Hello, good morning. Satish, morning again. Satish, you know, citizens of this country must understand that what we did yesterday is not what we are doing today. There's a law in this country that states that you cannot sell property or land without evaluation. I know a lady who in 1970 paid $5,000 for a lot of land, and she was shocked when today it was valued at $450,000. So I want to let the last individual know that the minister was not being less than honest. He was being very honest with you, and he was letting you know what the truth is. That if they were to value your property today and do an assessment for your payment based on the value of your property, your payment for property taxes would be astronomical. He's not lying. I mean, in the year 1970, it's $5,000 for Hillman Minx. Today, for, for equivalent car, it's probably around $250,000. So what we did yesterday, sir, is not what we are doing today. Values have increased astronomically. So the minister was not lying. He was being patently honest. 
Okay, thank you. Thank you so much for your call. Let's see if we can try our audio once again uh, with our special guest to dis discuss with us several things. Let's welcome back to our program, criminologist lecturer, uh, Dennis Brown. Good morning to you. Uh, Mr. Brown, are you hearing us at all? Let's try this once more and see if we can welcome to our program, Mr. Dennis Brown. Good morning to you. Good morning. Are you hearing me? Yes. Hello. Uh, hello. Yes. Are you hearing me? Yes, we're hearing you now. We are definitely hearing. It's nice to have you. When you're dealing with technology, you have these challenges that you have to confront one way or the other. But it's nice to have you with us on the program at this point in time, hearing you loud and clear. Um, we, we're here to discuss the issue of crime, but before we get into the nitty-gritty, let me allow you to familiarize uh, my listener with you. Tell us a bit about yourself and some of the things that you're involved in. Okay, well, the, let me say first and foremost, um, good morning to you, Satish, and your hard-working staff at Freedom 106.5, as well as your listenership. I am a lecturer at the City and College of Labor and Cooperative Studies. I lectured and tutored at the University of the West Indies also for quite some years, from 1988 to present. I've been in the profession as a lecturer, um, concentrating heavily on areas like politics, governance, and in particular, crime. I think that would be sufficient from the standpoint of the listeners getting a basic understanding as to the person that uh, we are interacting with. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, definitely. So the issue of crime is one that we've been discussing as a nation for a pretty long period of time. Uh, it has spanned a decade or two, and we have seen some some crimes taking place that really make us wonder as to what direction the country is headed into. When we speak of crime and we try to analyze or evaluate what's going on, we, we gravitate towards the murder figure because that seems to be the, the gauge that, by and large, we use to determine how bad our crime situation is. Um, let's get your opinion. Uh, we ended 2023 with 576 murders. We ended... 2022 with over 600 murders and that seems to be where where we are what's your opinion of our crime situation have we lost the battle well first and foremost uh let me see categorically the if we are seriously addressing the issue of criminality and crime we need to understand in clear concise terms that it would be ill-advised to, to try and ascertain the nature of the crime situation and the volume or intensity of criminality in our social space, in our geographic space, in our jurisdiction. Concentrating exclusively on the question of the homicide rate is not an ideal or not sufficient gauge to us to determine the extent of criminality literally engulfing our beautiful Twin Island state. We must go beyond just the homicide figure. The homicide figure simply tells us, the figures, they tell us that, okay, um, 
we had loss of life to uh, to an extent that like in last year before last six sorry six hundred and five hundred um last year five hundred and seventy something but we need to understand savage that if we are seriously looking at crime and criminality in Trinidad and Tobago it is incumbent it is imperative on the part of the citizenry and in particular the decision makers representing the state to embrace the fact that you do not concentrate exclusively on what is called the lower stream activity of criminal behavior and by that i mean um, the murder the bloodletting the uh, crimes of theft crimes of breaking and entering or as they now call it home invasion but we have to look upstream and concentrate on the source concentrate on what is happening within the institutions of our, of our state within the non-governmental institutions like the business sector we have to concentrate on the critical areas if we are to actually get a feel of the extent of crime in trinidad and tobago because if we concentrate if we were to concentrate as we are doing mainly on the homicide rate what we are in effect doing is not channeling our attention and our focus on the more pervasive the more penetrative the more dangerous reality of crime at the upper level when i say at the upper level looking at the origin because crime has what can be called a cascading effect and you must understand uh, that if we shy away from turning our attention to the totality of criminality and crime in Trinidad and Tobago, we will be forever enmeshing ourselves in what I would prefer to call it uh, the, the basic of what we are experiencing and more importantly we cannot address crime and return trinidad and tobago to some semblance of control and security if we are not if we are not addressing the crime situation in that manner what do you suggest um where do you suggest we begin or what are some of the things we should be looking for or, or, or looking into all right so for example satish you have you have let's say let's 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 look at it from a particular point of view if we are addressing crime there is something but they are called enablers they are they are activities or they are mechanisms called enablers and if we have to address the enablers for example let's take the 
organizations or the institutions of the state. We are looking at it from the standpoint of agencies of the state. So, for example, if we have to focus in a meaningful way, in a productive way, I use the word productive within the context of CDFC addressing crime, we need to address expeditiously what is going on in some of our agencies of the state. So, for example, customs and excise, uh, licensing, police service. We need to look at those critical areas because remember, at all times, the state is responsible ultimately for the security, for the safety, for the peace, and most importantly, the comfort of the citizenry. That, that is, we who form part of the citizenry, we who are the citizenry, must feel a sense of comfort. And to do that, the decision makers who represent the state must take the bold step. I think the problem with crime in Trinidad and Tobago, sadly, is that we pay a lot of lip service. And I, when I say we, not only the citizenry, more importantly, the decision makers in general, they tend to pay lip service to this aspect of governance called rule of law. And when one speaks about the rule of law, that's a powerful apparatus which, when properly, effectively, and boldly enact, we will obviously see a rapid decrease in crime and criminality because the whole question of the rule of law means as far as the law is concerned there is no question about status power there is no question about influence there is no question of about well but it is the ultimate and absolute question not so much the question the fact the reality that everyone is equal before the law. So when you when the citizenry sits back and see activities taking place, I spoke about the state. The other aspect of that would be the business sector. When one sits back and see what is happening within our jurisdictional space, which is Trinidad and Tobago, when the citizenry sit back and see the unfolding of events, knowing what is happening, knowing the, 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 the urgency to act, and indeed knowing that something has to be done, and engaging in the consistency of commenting, criticizing, or even commending when we see the decision makers who represent the state taking a political perspective, party political perspective, taking what can be described as a hesitation in order to act. We must remember, I keep using the word state, and I use the word state within the context of the judiciary 
the executive and the legislature. So Satish, the major problem facing Trinidad and Tobago in so far as crime is concerned has to do with the issue of determination on the part of the decision makers to take the bold, to take the leadership, and to take the the the, the unclearing step of intervening strategically, if not clinically, to address the denial. Because if we don't, and if we continue to look downward, when I say downward, downstream, as what is happening in our society from the standpoint of crime, it means that we will be paying little if any attention at all to that which is happening upstream. And upstream is where you have the lion's share of crime and criminality. But the question is, the state must ask for us to send a clear, decisive message to the population that no one, absolutely no one, is untouchable. Insofar as the law is concerned. But, okay, let's... The, the position you've outlined is one that we've heard so many times. And we're in a situation where, as, as you're saying, we need to get the decision makers to act and to act against the various tiers at which crime is committed. We can't even get them to sit and talk about crime. How do we get them to act? Well, there's something called uh, popular influence. And the, what must happen, it, it has started, I must admit, I have seen glaring evidence of the citizenry calling in frequently, writing, utilizing in, in a nutshell, the media, just like Freedom 106.5 as a, an arm of media, there must be the bombarding of the media on the part of the citizenry to send a clear unambiguous message to those who sit in the legislature. Um, and that's the first major act which must be undertaken by we, the citizenry. And I try as much as possible that it's not to use that categorization of the citizenry um, because it puts them, it puts them a false message that in some way or the other we are to blame as citizens in general, citizens in society, members of the society are to blame for the exponential increase in crime and criminality. But because you cannot ask the citizenry to take a frontline action when the major problem emanates at a level or an avenue outside of their control, outside of their influence, outside of their authority. And this is why that is, I keep stating over and over and over again. From the time a state sends a powerful message to the society as a whole, to the country as a whole, 
it does not matter who you are, you will devote to justice as long as the evidence carries you there. Mm. Not too far from us, we see where, as we speak, a past president of the United States has been debarred from contesting. We see the incumbent president of the United States. We see his son being brought before a court of law on a particular matter. So we, we, we cannot just pay the service and keep our fingers crossed and hope that crime and criminality will be seriously or judiciously addressed. And the only way, the only way we can begin to see a serious and perhaps sustainable dent in the escalating crime level is for the state to take that action. But as I said before, we need not to focus our attention on blaming the Minister of National Security, on blaming the Commission of Police. We must bring our decision makers to the point where they must recognize that they are the custodians of the state and by such, and I would use a hypothetical construct, which is a contract they do have a contract with us because we have relayed to them a responsibility. We too have a responsibility as citizens to ensure that we do what we are supposed to do. The law tells us what we have to do. But if we are concentrating on the law, the law is not only for the citizenry in general, but it is for all citizens. So as I want to re-emphasize, until such time that we recognize that fact and outwardly not concentrate exclusively on the homicide rate, turn our attention on every aspect of the factors and circumstances generating, encouraging, nurturing criminality. And you have to understand that criminality addresses the mental, which obviously means the decision to take action in order to commit a crime. We must look at reducing criminality because in a nutshell setting, criminality and crime tend to be blossoming, tend to be expanding, leaps and bounds as a result of greed on the part of too many of our citizens, particularly those who are in a position to curb the action negative criminal action emanating from that prevalence of greed. We need to be serious as a nation and the decision makers must 
take that forward step in order to create, in order to ensure a comfortable, relaxing relief from this surge of crime in the yeah. which is we, engulfing us. We, we are at the end of our interview here this morning. Somebody sent me a message here saying, uh, crime can be slow to the legal affairs office provided with the services and saying that legal assistance should be provided to those who are in need of it regardless. And uh, a couple others. So the discussion is a broad one. We've just barely scratched the surface. And there's so much more for our, discuss, uh, our, our discussion to take place. But we'll have to do that probably in another interview. But I want to thank you this morning for being with us here this morning and giving us your insight into some of these matters and probably giving us some direction as to where you think we need to go in treating with some of these. So thank you once again, criminologist lecturer Dennis Brown, for being with us here this morning. And that's where we drop the curtains on our interview here this morning, ladies and gentlemen, and our program.